So I'm selfish by nature. Uh, it's just been part of my nature since I was a kid. You know, I, I was the kid that as a parent, you, you give your kids some money. Hopefully they'll buy their siblings or their grandparents a Christmas gift. And my parents would give me money every single year. And every single year I spent it on myself. And every single Christmas morning, my brothers, my younger brothers were always disappointed. Is this the year Carlos is actually going to give us a gift? And every year it was no. And I would always tell them, I am the gift to you. You're lucky to have me as an older brother. Except one year. I was a sophomore in college, still very selfish. And this time my parents didn't give me any money for Christmas. They kind of just gave up on me by the time I was 16 years old in Christmas time. But I was working and I had some money. And so I decided to surprise everybody and buy people Christmas gifts. I was very proud of myself. It was still about me at that point. I got my mom this amazing, this is, this is the early 90s, mind you, but I bought my mom a Dooney and Burke purse. And when she opened it, she was like, did you steal this? She couldn't even say thank you. She just couldn't believe. I went from zero to 500, right? And so my dad, my dad and I are wired somewhat similarly. He saw I bought my mom a $500 gift. I had never bought her anything. So my dad is just excited about his gift. So my dad opens up his gift, and it's a shirt. From Structure. Remember Structure? Before it became Express? And so it was a good Christmas. People got their gifts. Carlos is growing. He's maturing as a young adult. Not everything is about him. Until two days later. When I was walking in our house and my dad said, hey, that's a really nice shirt you have on. I said, thanks, dad. He said, where'd you get the shirt? And I'm a pretty honest person. If you've been around, you know that I am. I said, well, when I bought your shirt, they gave me one for free. And it ruined Christmas. Because my dad was like, well, then you should give me that one too. I think he had his mind that I spent $500 on my mom and spent about $35 on him. You should give me that shirt too. I said, what? I paid for yours. This is free. So mine is the free shirt. He goes, yeah, but if you got it for free, then you should have just put them together and given me two shirts. And now I'm digging my heels in. Don't tell me what generosity looks like. You're lucky I even bought you a Christmas gift. And we're getting into an argument. And we still talk about this 27 years later. And my dad will bring it up. Remember that one Christmas you thought you were being really generous, but you really bought that shirt because you were getting one for free? Because in my nature, I'm selfish. In my nature, I wanted to really benefit me. And you can look at me and say, oh, Carlos, can't believe you did that. Oh, you were 19, 20 years old. You were a young kid. But, but don't judge me because many of us don't actually like to pay the real price. Many of us want the very thing, but we'll buy an imitation version. Everybody wants the right thing, but we'll wait for it to be on sale. We want the right thing, but we really don't want to truly pay the price. I mean, we want good mental health, but we really don't want to pay the coke pay to go see a therapist. I mean, we, we, we want good grades, but we don't want to put the effort into the good grades. And we want to be good parents, but we don't necessarily want to sacrifice our time to invest in our children. We don't want to be lonely. We're single. We just moved to Austin. We graduated from college. We want to build friends and build community. But man, it's really nice just to sit at home and watch Netflix. 
and not invest in relationships. And so maybe I'm not the only one who struggles with sacrifice. Maybe we all have this underlying theme in us that says, do I really want to count the cost? And I wonder how much of that bleeds over into our faith journey, friends. I mean, because if we live like that throughout our week, maybe not wanting to pay the price or count the cost, how much of that bleeds into our walk with Jesus? Or for some of us, as we're exploring faith, do we really want to put the effort into it? Maybe we say we want to explore who God is, but we offer Alpha Course to just kind of explore, ask all your questions. You're like, yeah, well, I want to explore God, but not like that. Or I want to grow my relationship with God, but not like that. And I wonder how many times we have these excuses, and really the truth is following Jesus will cost you something, but it will always be worth it. You know, Jesus talked about this with his disciples, just the cost of following him and what that meant. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But in this series, we're going book, a chapter by chapter as much as we can through the book of Daniel. And so we're in Daniel chapter 3. And again, just to catch you up a little bit, you have these Hebrew, some Hebrew people as the Babylonians took over Jerusalem. And now they're exiles. They're not in their homeland in Jerusalem. And they're, they're now in Babylon. And they had to follow all sorts of rules and regulations. They had to learn new cultures, new languages. Uh, they had to face all sor- sorts of adversity. But God was with them. And even when they made tough decisions, God showed up and came alongside them. And we ended chapter 2 last week talking about the, the impossible thing that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the Babylonians, what he wanted. He had a dream, he didn't tell anybody the dream, and he wanted somebody to interpret that for him. Or the leaders around him were going to die. And Daniel didn't know what to do, and he asked God to reveal the dream to him, and God did. Daniel went to the king, told the king the dream, interpreted the dream, and Nebuchadnezzar was like, wow, your God is the one true God. Because that was impossible. Just as impossible as your husband or wife expecting you to read their mind. You know why I'm mad. I do. Yes, you do. And if you don't know, then you don't love me. And so now you start throwing out all the things that could be and like you have to like acknowledge all the things you've ever done wrong just to figure out the one thing that your spouse wants to hear you say. Yeah, it happens. But he did it. Can you imagine you're arguing with your spouse or your parents or your kids and you're trying to figure it out and all you have to do is pray and God just showed you what it was? How amazing would that be? But that happened to Daniel. Then we go to chapter 3, and we see the effects of what's happening. See, Daniel interpreted a dream that was a warning to the king. The God that he served was the one true God, and that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And it was a series of kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling, but the God was the God over all of it. And Nebuchadnezzar responded to this amazing, miraculous thing that happened In this way, sometimes the way we respond. Chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. Verse 3. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Isn't that just like us? I mean, he had just had this miracle of the king that God was the one true God. He had a warning. This is what it means. If you're not careful, your reign is going to go down. Just like every other kingdom that goes up and down, God is the one who sustains. And yet, he does the very opposite. He builds an image. He builds a statue in his own image. He begins to take action in the way that he thinks he should take action. And if we're not careful, even as we explore faith, as we explore who Jesus is, if we're not careful, we can still make the next step about us. But my friends, like we've said at the very top of this, following Jesus will cost you something, right? And the first thing it will cost you is following Jesus will cost you your dreams. And I know that might make you a little uncomfortable. Oh, are you kidding me? You're telling me I'm exploring who Jesus is, and if I come to Jesus, I have to like find a new career. I have to find maybe a new spouse. I have to find new kids. Like I got no, 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 no. That, that's not what we really mean. It means that the dream itself may not die, but the way we interpret the dream may have to die. How many of us, we saw our careers or we see our families or we see a dynamic in our personal lives and we have a dream for it and yet maybe in Christ you are heading somewhat in the right direction but the interpretation of it may be different. Maybe it's the business you started. You thought it would be in a certain place and maybe you were supposed to start that business but maybe going about it might be a little different than what you anticipated. Maybe the person that you're in relationship with, the person maybe you married to, person you're dating, person you're engaged to, it could be that you're with the right person, that, that you, you did make the right commitment, but maybe going about it and growing that relationship is different than what you anticipated. It's giving up certain aspects of the dream. And again, if we're not careful, what we do is we build our lives in our image and then we expect everyone around us and even in our faith to bow down to the statue of us. You know, the truth is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor and I love being a pastor. I love leading our, our North Campus. I'm excited about, you know, with the, the months to come and leading Gateway. But the truth is, if I look back 27 years, I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to, I, I, was, I was serving the local church and 
basically because of my background of drugs, alcohol addiction, sexual addictions, all those things. It was like in my heart, serving God and being in the local church and being a leader was paying penance for all my past sins. And I thought I could stop paying the price at some point. So I was finishing college, I'm graduating, ready to go on. I meet my wife, Libby, our senior year of college, and I'm ready to move to the East Coast and be a lawyer and go to grad school, go to law school. And my wife looks at me, she wasn't my wife yet, and she goes, I think you're supposed to be a pastor. I was like, no. Like, I've, I've dreamt of my life and what it's going to look like. I want to have a BMW by the time I'm 25. And not one of the little toy ones that somebody puts in your office. Like a real one. I want to be a real man. I'm going to be broke the rest of my life. My dad was a pastor and I have daddy issues. I don't want to be like my dad. But she spoke something that was true. And it sparked something in me. And so I said, you know what? I'll try it for a couple of years. 25 years later, here I am. But it's a series of dying to my expectations of my life. And you know what really got me? I was praying one day, and I didn't, I didn't hear this audible voice, but it was God looking at me, and he said, look at all that you were able to accomplish in your own strength. What could your life look like if you put your life in my hands? And what he was saying is, you already know what your life looks like in your hands. It leads towards addiction. It leads towards sexual dysfunction. It leads towards alcoholism. It leads towards drug addiction. It leads towards lying and manipulation. See, your life in your hands, Carl, this is what it will end up looking like at some point. But your life in my hands, let me mold, let me shape. And I'm challenging you the way I have to challenge myself. I cannot expect the world around me or the God that I love to bow down at the statue of me. See, following Jesus will always cost you something, but it will always be worth it. It's not only costs you your dreams, it costs you your allegiance. What are you loyal to? So if we look at our central characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to follow these commands. So this command goes out to the entire Babylonian world. This is what's going to happen, and they refuse to do it. And it makes the king so upset. Here are these young men who have proven loyal, who have gained a lot of favor in the Babylonian world. And here we go in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they, brought, they, when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? They had one more chance. Same challenge. They weren't let off the hook. And, and, and you have to know this is all of us. 
At some point, some issue is going to come up where you have to make a decision of where your allegiance lies, where my allegiance lies. It, it could be around wealth. It could be around sex. It could be about your career. It could be about all sorts of issues. But at the end of the day, there comes a challenge that we're confronted with, and it will cost us our allegiance because following Jesus will cost you your allegiance. The day will come, sir. The day will come, ma'am, that the way you've coped with some of your trauma and the issues of life, the way I coped around our addiction, we're going to have to make a decision. Am I really going to have the allegiance I have to my addiction? The addiction of control, the addiction of sex, the addiction of money, the addiction of all sorts of things. Because eventually that one thing that I cope with will be the very lead vest that drowns me. And i got to make a decision. What am I going to be aligned with? Am I going to be aligned to a political party or political idealism? There's nothing wrong with having an opinion. It's the right that we have for those of us who are Americans. But... Are we really going to live a life that is yo-yoed? That every time there's a new news cycle, you have different emotions because somebody is telling you what to believe and you're seeing one side of the story and not another side of the story? Are we really going to have an allegiance to these very things that don't truly bring us life? They, they matter. We have to address them. But in Christ, in Jesus, does everything else fade away compared to who Christ is. See, God has to test the very thing that we believe. We will be tested with what we believe. I, I love talking to, to people. It's one of my favorite things, especially to men, and I have a few men that I'm having conversations with, and very you know, strong type A men who, have, who, are, who just really feel like the way they see the world is right. Right? The, the way, if, they only, if only the world would do this, if only they would just do this, and if, they, if, if this person would just follow my instruction, and if this political person would just do this, and everybody's got an opinion, and they forget that they are human too. We forget we are human. And I looked at one of them and I said, you know, it's funny how you want to fix the whole world, but your wife might be leaving you. What are you going to do about that? Well, I'm not talking about that. See, we can all become so blind because our allegiance says when it's outside of Christ, as long as I believe or I do the right thing, then I'm okay. But that's not the way it truly works, is it? Sometimes we have to understand that we will get tested. That there will be a coming fire that burns away the things that do not matter and those that do remain. And I know we want to avoid the fire, don't we? I mean, you want to avoid the very thing. I remember in high school, I was a pretty good student, but I wanted to avoid the ACTs. Because I was trying to convince everybody, or the SATs, I could convince everybody that I'm somewhat smart, but then you go take a test, and this one test tells everybody who you are. Now, I, you know, I'm just like, no, I'm not, I, I don't need to take that test. But inside, I was afraid. I didn't want to apply to a certain college, because what if they reject me? 
I didn't want to apply for a certain job because what if I don't get it? And we avoid testing sometimes. And then we villainize the test when sometimes the test is what we need to reveal the character of who we are and who we are in Christ. The test, friends, is a gift. There's this quote it's, it's used in different ways by the Navy SEALs. And I believe it's originally from a Greek poet. But there's this phrase, this quote says, you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. You don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. Our lowest common denominators. And how do we raise those? It's by going through fire and trials and testing. And if we're not careful, Gen Z, those of us who are younger, we, if we're not careful, we'll think that everything that's difficult is bad. When everything that's difficult reveals our true character. And here we have our central figures being revealed. They've passed all these tests and now we are in chapter 3 and now they're about to face a fire. And they have to decide, am I going to bow down or am I going to stand up straight in my conviction and what I know is right? Not my opinion, but the opinion of God. And here we go, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That's a pretty strong statement. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And I, I can hear some people now you know, there's people all, all fronts who talk about all sorts of things. But every once in a while, somebody would say something like, and I'm so glad I didn't get the vaccine. Those people trying to kill me. I'm like, that's great. Whether you get it or not is none of my business. I know you think it was my business by telling me that. But that's a decision you got to make. But can I tell you something? You cannot get the vaccine or get the vaccine and still overeat. Still not take care of your body. Still not do what's right. The vaccine doesn't cover that. Or you can say, I got the vaccine. Woo, and I have all the updates, and I was only sick for a week, right? But it still doesn't mean that we're doing the thing that's right because we, our allegiance doesn't go to an ideology. Our allegiance goes to the practicality of being in the fire. And after the fire, what burns away burns away, and what remains remains. And what they're saying in the story is, we will remain steadfast to what we know is right even if you throw us in the fire. And basically they're saying, King, you do you. We're going to do us, and we're willing to face the consequence. Watch this, verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. I was going to try to practice making that face, but I don't know if it'll work. 
He commanded the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied fell into the roaring flames. You know, we just told you it will, it will cost you everything to follow you. Your dreams, your allegiance, and it definitely cost you comfort. One of our great American values. And I love their response before they were thrown to the fire. But even if he doesn't, we might make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Do you have a, but even if God doesn't statement about your life? There's something about your going through that says, but even if God doesn't do it? I shared last week about my dad having cancer and just kind of like, hey, you know, he was a drug addict. He had hepatitis as a kid. Uh, he had hepatitis since the time he was 19, 20 years old. He's 70 now. He's like, man, my last 50 years are icing on the cake. I didn't deserve them. So when I go, I go. But I'm going to go the way God intended me to go. And his attitude is amazing. His doctors can't believe it. Even my mom's like, well, let's just go ahead and send you off then, if that's, the way you're, if that's where you're at. She goes, I still got a good 20 years left, and so we'll just move on. And I'm not joking. There's some days my mom's like, when your dad dies, I'm going to do this and this and this. I'm like, you know, he's still alive, mom. She goes, yeah, but I just got to be prepared. Got to be prepared. And we're laughing, but some of us are laughing with discomfort because we're facing sickness. We're facing loss. How can my parents live a life like that? Because they're like, even if he doesn't, even if the transplant doesn't come through, even if the cancer doesn't go away, even if the liver stays where it is 99% useless, God is still with us. What a great example for my children that my parents get to live. See, their response stops the story from devolving into false promises about following Jesus, that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be all right. No, no, when you follow Jesus, it will cost you comfort. And I love this, this phrase. And at some point, the rubber of your faith will meet the road of suffering, and you will be uncomfortable. The rubber of your faith will meet the road of suffering, and you will be uncomfortable. You ever seen somebody driving around town, in a car that's $100,000, $200,000, and they don't know how to drive it. Because they loved buying the car, having it in the garage, and they get out, and they're stuck on a speed bump. Or they crash the car because they don't know how to drive it. And how many of us have built up this dream of the dream Ferrari, but what's the point if you don't know how to drive it? And these men, in the face of losing it all, said this, take it, because God is worth it. 
Here's the response, verse 24. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we, sure, we certainly did. Look, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. You see, God did not save them from the fire. Friends, God saved them in the fire. And I know sometimes we want to avoid the fire. We want to avoid the flames of life. But maybe, just maybe, we're supposed to step into the fire, let burn away everything that's supposed to burn, and trust that God is with you in it, not in spite of it. He's with you in it because you've trusted Him, and you're, you're not saved because you didn't go through it. Every one of us have a challenge. Libby and I, we know we have five kids and we love having five kids, but it's been hard sometimes to see some of our friends not able to have children. And there were days we were like, man, we're just so blessed. Like, look at all this. And, and then, you know, we have a daughter who has to have a tongue surgery and a daughter who has dyslexia and a, and a, and a son who's adopted and all the challenges. See, we can't avoid the challenges. But we can have a disposition that God is with us in challenges. Because following Jesus will cost you something, but it will always be worth it. So what does this mean for you and I? If we go forward a few thousand years, we go Luke chapter 14, verse 25. This is Jesus talking to those around him, and he says this. It says this, a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciples, you must by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross. Everybody say your own cross. Say carry your own cross. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count cost. It does cost us something. And you know, you think of the cross, people wear crosses, people have, people have earrings with crosses, people have necklaces with crosses, but you would have never seen that thousands of years ago because it was a tool of torture. It was a way to shame the enemies. And yet now we celebrate the cross, but do we actually carry the cross and the burdens? And understand that God is with us. And Jesus knew exactly what he was saying back then, and he knows what he's saying even now to us. It's a call to die to ourselves. Here's the thing following Jesus is free, it really is. There's no, no initiation fees, no monthly subscription, there's no sign up, but make no mistake, it will cost you something. And, and, and if we're not careful, 
that will be the detriment to us, the fact that it costs us something. But Jesus is straight up about this. He says, I, my followers follow in the thick and the thin. And I know we've been saying throughout this message, following Jesus will cost you something, but it'll always be worth it. And here's, here's the deeper truth, the last 10%. Following Jesus will cost you everything. But it will always be worth it. And what I love about this is the reason why Jesus can say this and challenge us in this is because Jesus did it first. I, I, I know it will cost you your dreams and allegiance and comfort. We, we know all this. But Jesus did it first. He left heaven, took on flesh, became Emmanuel, God with us, so that he could say the very thing. Just follow me. Follow me. What did he do? He gave up everything. Because he saw you and he saw me and billions of people and he said they are worth it. So the question for us today is have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost of doing the right thing? Have you counted the cost of making the shift, making the change? Have you asked yourself, am I willing to pay the price to do what's right? Am I willing to give up how I go about living my dream? Am I willing to give up some allegiances? Am I willing to give up my comfort? Because the, it's a great exchange. It's this subversive way of following Jesus. All we do is we give up these things. And in turn, what we receive is so much greater could I have been further along in life if I were a lawyer? Absolutely. I would have had the car I wanted. I would have had the stuff I wanted. And those things aren't bad. But what I have now, I didn't have peace, love, and joy. I can lay my head on my pillow at night and sleep like a baby. And my wife says I'm such a good sleeper that I snore and keep her up at night. But you know what that means? I have peace. Even though I'm robbing her of hers. <laughs> but you know what it means for me at 46 to say I had peace? But when I was eight years old, nine years old, I was tormented because I was being molested and then the drugs and the alcohol and the sexual lifestyles I lived. I had no peace. I gave up my idea of my life as a lawyer and the great exchanges. I was given a love that surpasses any kind of love. I was given a peace that nobody can buy and that sustains. Yes, yes, it costs you something, but it's really a great exchange. And you know what we're going to see today? We're going to see people after this service and the next who are saying yes to the great exchange. They're saying, yes, they're going to be baptized today. They're saying the old is gone and the new has come and I'm willing to give up all the old because whatever the new is, it may look different than I want it. It may not be lined up to my current dream. It might not be on my Pinterest board, but it's probably what God had in store for me all along. And when Jesus came, died on that cross and rose again three days later, he not only invited you to a new life, he invited you to a death so that you could be resurrected in power and might to be everything you were ever meant to be. That 
is why it's worth it. We're going to sing this song. Don't go anywhere. Don't move. Don't log off yet online. We're going to sing this song and we're going to close up in prayer. It's worth the cost.